Hello, hello, and welcome to Elated, the podcast. I'm Arielle, and I care about your mental health. Over the last few years, I've built a business with a mission to destigmatize the conversation surrounding mental health maintenance, using food as a starting point. I found that educating people on how our gut-brain connection, and don't worry, I'll explain what that is, influences our mood, feelings, cognitive abilities, and so much more, created a comfortable space to talk about what it means to take care. My goal has always been for people to talk about their emotional health the same way we talk about physical health. And in this time and space, I think we can all agree on how important this is. Every week, I'll be sharing conversations with friends and professionals whose expertise is in a space that contributes to our mental well-being. I'll be asking for their take and tips on topics we all think about, but few of us talk about. Whether it's mental health and money, motherhood, meditation, or anything really, I'm committed to throwing out the taboo to get the conversation going. So I'm really excited you're here. And let's get started. Today's conversation is with psychotherapist and author Dr. Eileen Cohen. Together, we talk about the notion of people-pleasing and how to find your own voice in your relationships with others. All right, let's hear what she has to say. You wrote a book about people-pleasing, and I think that's a topic that so many, if not everyone, can relate to because that's a theme that impacts so many different aspects of our life, Um, whether it's learning how to find our voice, how to take up space, or even how to navigate relationships, both romantic and not romantic. Um, I want to talk to you about so many ways that this topic does affect us. But before we get into the details, I want to set the stage by asking you, what is the difference between people-pleasing and productive compromise? That's a good question. Um, Well, a big signal of people-pleasing is if you're feeling resentful, unheard, Um, you tend to always kind of go with the flow, not have your own opinion, not bring up things that bother you. I think that if you have productive communication or you're compromising, it's very different. You have that conversation. You don't feel like you're not speaking up. You're not feeling resentful afterwards. You're both coming to a conclusion that works for each of you, not just one of you. When you're people pleasing, it tends to always just work out for the other person, not you, but you don't have um, the voice to speak up about it and say anything about it. But when you're compromising, you are having that conversation and you are having your own voice and you are participating in the relationship versus a lot of the times people pleasers aren't participating. They're just going along with what the other person wants. Okay, that makes sense. I think though that's easy for people who already found their voice or found their perspective or point of view or are able to to advocate for themselves in a dynamic. For people for whom that isn't so familiar and they haven't yet found their voice or the ability to come to the table feeling empowered, how can someone start claiming their their voice? What are some tips or or advice that you can give in order for someone to do that? Good question. So first really is to know that you're not having a voice and that you're not bringing yourself into your relationships, that awareness piece. And when you are aware of that, continuing to observe yourself. 
if you are so automatically always doing what the other person wants or not um, you know, having an opinion or going with the flow, you might not know what it is you want. You might not know what your likes are like. Um, so a lot of it is kind of individual work, but also working on that in your relationship once you kind of can figure out where your voice is and what is it that you like or dislikes. I always work on my clients with finding what their values are, their principles, really what's okay with them, not okay with them. And a lot of that work is just observing yourself, observing your feelings. Um, a lot of the times our quote unquote negative feelings are good indicators of what's not okay with us and what we would like to change. So knowing what bothers you can also help you know what's okay with you, what you like, how you see things. So if somebody, I guess, being critical of you makes you feel bad inside, you could say, okay, well, I don't like this. So maybe I like if somebody um, were to say better things about me, or we can um, have, you know, a better view of things or look at things differently. So that could be um, a way to signal, okay, that's, that's not cool. Let me change, make changes. This is what I do like though. Um, so just, I think a lot of the work is observing and changing the focus from others to yourself. Um, and and it, it's a process, it doesn't happen overnight. So you start by taking the time to write down what it is that you value. And then from there, you start to see if you can incorporate that into your dynamics with others um, and making sure that the expression you, you have with them and the relationship you're fostering aligns with those values. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Right, yeah. And at first it will be anxiety provoking because you're not used to that. A lot of the times we people please actually to manage our anxiety around, you know, disapproval of people, maybe having a bad reaction. A lot of the pleasers I see and I work with had very dominant parental figures or people that were super reactive, over-exaggerating. So they have that fear. A lot of it's very subconscious. Then I'm gonna get this really big reaction and anger, which might be the case or it might not be. So learning to manage um, that own anxiety when you do start seeing your values, your principles, when you do want to start speaking up, knowing that it will be a bit uncomfortable at first. Um, but that's how I guess I always tell my clients the real work takes place. We can work on ourselves so much, find our values and get our voice. But the real work happens when you can actually bring that into your relationships and learn how to speak up and to say that even if you might be fearful of somebody's reaction. And not to play into gender stereotypes, but just to, to touch on something that perhaps others may be thinking about as they're hearing this. As women, a lot of the time we're told to, to be polite or a little more subdued or submissive. And maybe sometimes that politeness is misconstrued as silencing yourself. So for women, and I'm sure this happens with men too, but as a woman, I'll speak to, to my experience with this learning to to silence myself to dim my light a little bit in order to not make others uncomfortable or to adhere to you know what I was told is is propriety societal uh rules how can you uh speak to the women listening to say this is how you can start taking up space and this is what productive expressions of of taking a back CR, and this is what unproductive uh, versions of that is. Yeah, and you really um, spoke to how ingrained it is in our culture, especially for women. I mean, we've made so many changes 
However, there's still more to be made and um, society's view of, you know, a woman speaking up isn't so positive all the time. You know, they're angry or bossy or um, whatnot. Um, there's still that hidden message, the dominant story that, you know, you're, you're causing a rift or trouble if you have an opinion that's different than other people. And when I do see um, clients, a lot of them are like, well, if I do speak up, I'm causing problems. And um, there's that idea there that, oh, if you do, you know, have a different viewpoint, it's gonna, you're the one that's the problem, not the other person or not the society or the situation. And they work really hard to change themselves and force themselves to like things that they don't. Um, so it's about changing that perspective and saying, okay, I'm not causing any problems. I'm just learning how to have more of a self learning to have more of a voice and I'm contributing to these relationships and if someone's uncomfortable with that then that's their issue all I can do is bring up things the best way I know how to um I would say yeah of course if we're coming up as you know aggressive or angry I mean we don't I think there's that idea we're either like aggressive angry mad or super subservient and there's a middle you know how can we communicate the best way we can um, and if someone else gets upset, we still know that we didn't do it aggressively. We were just speaking, you know, what, what was truthful to us, how we saw things. And there's nothing wrong with that. So even if it's awkward or uncomfortable at times, as we're finding our voice, better to be awkward, slightly uncomfortable, but help move the needle forward and reclaim that space as opposed to not even taking that chance and silencing ourselves before we even speak up and advocate. Is that, I think that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, and it's, it's super uncomfortable at first <laughs> to start speaking your mind and saying things that might offend someone else. It's so weird, you know, um, a lot of my clients stumble on their words or they get super anxious or get silent halfway through the conversation, but it's like anything, you're building a new skill. Um, so it's not like in movies or shows where the person's always a pushover and they make this one proclamation and <laughs> everything's solved. Um, this is a new thing you're learning, a new way of interacting with people. And it's scary and it's take time to to get better at it. I think one thing as women we can definitely stop doing is saying the word sorry when sorry doesn't even apply in that context. I notice myself, if someone bumps into me in order for me to just feel like I've, you know, resolved the situation or not made them uncomfortable, I apologize for, for their actions. And I think so many women do that. This word sorry just needs to get cut from our vocabulary unless you've done something for which you should apologize for, but, but stop and think if that's the case first. Do you think that it's men's responsibility or if it's not men, whoever the, the dominant, um, person in the room is for whom space and attention is automatically given do you think it's their responsibility to to share that space to step down and move the spotlight over to to others who aren't always the best at advocating for themselves and claiming that space or is it kind of every person for for themselves I mean, that would be great and I'm sure it would be helpful, but that's not often the case. Um, we can't control other people and, and have them make changes so we can um, make changes. We have to be the ones and it's often the people 
that have been wrong, that are the ones that have to be the ones to make the changes. They're the ones that are uncomfortable. And in a fair world, yes, of course, the people that might have marginalized women or been more of the dominant, you know, the men um, in our culture it would be great if they could step aside a bit, let women step up, but that's not often the case. I think women have to be the one to take initiative and um, which we've been seeing. And then over time then others do tend to make changes um, and see things differently. Um, if you see anything through history, how change happens, it's the people that have been marginalized that have to be the ones to step up. Does that start at home with your partnerships at home with your family? What would be the best way to start practicing that? I feel like people pleasing takes a new and nuanced version when it comes to romantic relationships or, ro- or relationships you you really care about, where you really don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. You're willing to make compromise at the expense of what it is that you want out of the dynamic. What is a productive first step of, let's say, for a romantic relationship to start saying, while I still care about you, I realize that I've silenced my needs for so long and and this is where I want to stop it and this is how I want to change. What's a productive version of that conversation? Well, I always start with the family. It all begins there and people pleasing is a pattern that you'll see when you, I usually go back three or four generations in a family system for someone to understand themselves in context and see how these behaviors developed. Um, and usually, you know, they see a pattern in marriages where one person's more subservient and pleasing and the other person's in a way more dominant. Um, and then they continue that pattern if they're married in, in a marriage. Um, so noticing that pattern and it's not for judgment and then seeing, okay, how can I break this pattern? And it's not really maybe one conversation of, oh, I'm going to do this. It's about showing in each situation that arises, learning, okay, maybe this week I'm gonna, you know, every client's different on what they wanna start with. This week I'm gonna work on telling my husband when something bothers me, you know, or this week I'm gonna say, okay, more of defining themselves, not telling their husband what they need to do or wife. I'm going to only, um, when I cook, I'm just cooking. I'm not doing the dishes. So what is it you're willing to do? So more of defining themselves in that relationship, seeing how the patterns happen and learning how to manage their anxiety about changing those behaviors. And then over time they do, um, a lot of people receive pushback um, from their partners in the beginning. It's not like this warm welcoming. It's subconscious in a way like, hey, this works for me. Like the people that aren't people pleasing, it's working for them. They're like, hey, you know, um, they, they feel comfortable in that kind of relationship. So when the other person starts speaking up and making changes, they get alerted like, alert, alert, abort, like what's happening here. And you might, and it's not out of malice. It's just like, this isn't the type of relationship I signed up for. I'm used to And now there's changes taking place. So, but eventually if done, I wouldn't say nothing's right or wrong, but done consciously and mindfully over time, the relationship can, can grow and become better from it. Because I think, um, uh, you know, a recipe for a good relationship is communication, people having a voice, and you can't have connection if the person doesn't really know what you're thinking and what you're feeling. Um, and then later you might become resentful, you might withdraw, and that's, you know, harmful to a relationship as well. 
Right. So if you're not expressing yourself, if you're not claiming that space, most likely you're going to be like a pressure cooker and you're just going to explode later down the line. So as soon as it you know, becomes apparent to you that those are behaviors that you're exhibiting, it sounds like maybe taking those small steps and doing what you can to start advocating for yourself um, in order to, to avoid that explosion down the line. But you said something important, which is in an ideal situation, in a picture perfect moment, you know, doves would be flying and a red carpet would be rolling out as soon as you're, you're speaking up for yourself and, and, and you're taking that space um, but that's not the case. So is there a time frame? Because you, you know how you hear like a thousand hours is what you need to develop a habit or, or become proficient at something. Is there an equivalent in this context where it's like, okay, after a month, if you don't see that things are changing or your relationship is shifting in a positive direction, you know, abort, or is it a lifelong process? No one likes to hear this, but... <laughs> It's a lifelong process, um, but you will start, it takes time, but in every relationship is different. It depends on how consistent, persistent, how, um, I guess, more objective you are about it. I always say, you know, I don't ever take sides of being in the relationship. Don't, I'm always on the side of the client and what it is they want and how much effort they're willing to put into it. But I, I don't take a side on who's right or wrong or um, whatnot. I just work with the person that wants to work and that wants to make the changes. Um, so yeah, if anxiety gets high enough, you might feel like aborting, but I often encourage my clients not to make decisions when they're anxious um, because when we make decisions when we're anxious, it's not necessarily what we want. It's just our way of managing that anxiety, you know, to cut off, okay, I'm just done with this. Um, because the thing is, if we don't work on our people pleasing in ourselves, what ends up happening is that we might leave and exit that relationship, but we can very well get into the same pattern with somebody else. So um, might as well work on <laughs> the one you got, right? Um, <laughs> so that's, you know, would be my advice on that. Not to say, obviously, if you find yourself in a dangerous situation, if it's not for you anymore, um, you certainly don't have to continue something you're not happy in. But I would say try not to make that decision anxious and try to, you know, give your best effort to say, okay, am I making changes? Am I, have I really been a self? And have I been um, not overly people pleasing? Because I can very well continue in other relationships. So taking those small steps, uh, checking off those preliminary tasks that will ultimately lead to you feeling, okay, now I honor myself. Now I am adhering to those values I, I made a list of. And, and then that's establishing more of a solid ground in your current relationship and all future relationships, most likely. And that's very important because you're building more of your own mind, your own mature self, and you can bring that in all your relationships. So chances are that if you are pleasing in your marital relationship, you're pleasing in all kinds of other work relationships, um, family relationships, and it's important to resolve that in, in all areas by having that solid ground of who am I, you know, what are my values, what are my principles, what are my non-negotiables, and then acting in that same sequence, you know, acting towards that person, what's, what other people want from me. And now once you've gotten a little more familiar with that, and once you're making a conscious effort to 
not be so pleasing. How do you go from there to learning how to, to work with differences of opinions? Because I know for me, at least, when I started to learn to find my voice, I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but then when I didn't get what I wanted, I was like, well, you're not helping me do this. You're not helping me find my voice. You're not supporting me. How do you balance the finding the voice and then being willing to say, okay, I can see now that I've expressed myself, but I can still be wrong. And how do you guide your clients to, to work through that cognitive dissonance? Because that's kind of what it was for me. So that's a very good point. And again, awareness is big on that. You know, seeing, okay, well, I am voicing my opinions and others might have a different opinion. And how can I get more objective about it and see past with my own perspective of things? You know, so a lot of it is just being able, you know, to speak up and then kind of seeing what happens afterwards and managing through it and being able to hear other people as well and um, where they're coming from. And then deciding together um, what you want to want to do about that. But one, a big part would be noticing that, even just noticing that in yourself. Oh, this is what I do. You know, how can I make changes in that? How can I be more accepting of others' opinions? How can I, you know, how can we come to some kind of um, agreement moving forward or not? You know, being okay that we both see things differently, um, which is fine. But at least we know how we see see it. <laughs> We're talking, you know, I know you see life this way. Okay, interesting. Well, I see it this way, you know, and that's part of marker of maturity is being able to be in a space with people that had different ideas. We all experience the world based on, you know, how our own perspectives of how we grew up. We all have so many different experiences, family dynamics, cultures. Um, it's okay to see things differently, um, but um, making that okay in your space you touched on something that is extremely important and I really wanted your opinion on. And so pivoting a little bit away from relationships for a second, I've never seen a greater time to talk about people pleasing than in this era of political correctness. And I know that that's kind of a, a hot button topic, but when you're navigating so many different opinions and when things are so tense and heated and loaded how can you navigate the not wanting to offend and really the the landmine ridden terrain that is right now you know society and everything we're going through how is there a way of literally communicating best like saying not just this is my opinion or this is how I feel, but making it clear that I respect you, I honor you, you have your truth. I'm just trying to express myself without doing anything wrong. Is that clear? Like, how, how do you help others navigate this time and space when everything is so precarious? Yeah, and I hear that. I mean, I see families now broken apart from different political opinions and they get very heated. Um, one thing is that, and that's where people pleasers kind of get a little mixed up, is that we, we don't know what's going to offend somebody. And all we can do is try our best to communicate in a way, you know, no name calling would be one. 
um, not putting down, you know, would be another. But if we know, say, we have a certain political opinion and we voice that and we don't realize someone in the room has a different opinion and they get heated, instead of trying to manage them, managing our own anxiety around them and then still trying to be on our own best behavior. If something's not okay with you, if they get too heated, being able to voice like, okay, this conversation might not be the best right now. I see that we have very different opinions, which is fine with me, but I feel like it's getting into name calling and that's just not comfortable for me. You know, so putting in more I statements about yourself if it does get there. And then, or if you're the one finding yourself getting heated, um, trying to keep, just try to manage yourself, maybe keep a little bit quiet. Maybe curiosity helps a lot, asking questions. Like if you really don't understand something, um, you know, I know there's some hot button topics for me that I just, instead of like, you know what, I mean, just get curious. Maybe you can understand from their point of view why they, and a lot of the times I gather information from their own experience, you know, why in immigration, for example, such a hot topic for them, you know, why they see things the way they do from their own upbringing when you get curious and why it's so passionate to them. And that, that respects their voice if you get curious. Um, and then trying to make space to, okay, I see how you see it that way. Um, though this is from my experience, what's important. So trying to just manage yourself, speaking clearly, not, you know, calling somebody stupid or a dummy because they believe certain things. Um, and then noticing when you are triggered by something and then managing that and trying to get curious or just if you don't think you can, just remaining quiet about it um, or learning, knowing when to exit if it's if it's too but again this idea of offending we don't know we might post something we think is wonderful or we might say something we think is fine and somebody might get offended but it's okay to look back at yourself and say okay well, well, was it offensive no so it must be their own issue with that and okay you know that's how they took it and that's it you know so learning not to internalize one i guess would be a huge step towards learning to to not be so people pleasing. These I statements, I hear that a lot. And I'm I'm kind of confused by them only because I realize how to use them intuitively when it is something I'm clear about how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. But when I fundamentally feel that I'm being attacked, let's say, or, or someone's doing something wrong. How do you use I statements in, in that context? It's hard when you feel attacked not to be alerted. We have our evolutionary brain when we're anxious and it's fight, flight, or flee. And we might not have access to our logical brain in those moments. Um, and things might you know, hit the fan. I don't want to say the bad word, but, um, you know, things might get out of control, which is later okay. You can repair it. We're not perfect human beings. It might get out of hand. Um, but in those moments, trying, if you can, you know, notice that, okay, wow, I'm getting to that point. Um, and what can I do to best you know, and maybe you don't have, you don't have access to speaking from yourself or clear, maybe staying quiet, exiting, um, whatever it is to respect your, your space. And then if, um, if it does get out of hand, not beating yourself up too much about it, maybe take, you know, thinking about it, reflect on it and think how you can do things differently or how you could repair that conversation. Because 
again, especially when it comes to family, romantic relationships, we all say and do things that, you know, our brains get hijacked when we're upset and it just is what it is. We can't, we might not have access, but that's also a learned behavior. You can train yourself to try to think clearer when you're anxious, but again, that's putting yourself in those situations. It's trying to do something different and um, trying to be clear about that, whether it's, it happens later or if you need to think something through beforehand, um, whatever it is you need to do to get that clarification. And as a professional, what is your advice for when a relationship, romantic or otherwise, has actually just come to a natural end when it's no longer serving you, when you've done all the self-work, when you've attempted to, to navigate these new waters of learning how to, to find your voice in a dynamic, to, to honor your values, but the relationship just isn't working. I know it's hard when it's family as opposed to friends, but do you have any advice for recognizing when something isn't serving you and then what to do when it is a, a closer relationship than just a friendship? That's a tricky one. Um, people get mad at me for this. <laughs> <They don't. laughs> um, and also in my books, I think there's a big cost to pay when you cut off from family. Um, and I understand if it's a, a, um, a abusive or if it's um, a very dangerous situation, of course, you have to keep yourself safe. But when it comes to, I'm not saying you need to be best friends with everyone in, in a family system, but I do believe that it's important to try to um, remain connected. And even our most difficult relationships have something to teach us about ourselves that we can grow from. Um, we're not gonna be best friends with everybody. With romantic relationships, it's a bit different unless you don't have to stand, you don't have to stay with family, but I do find it most useful when I work with clients. Um, it's up to them, of course. You can even work on that relationship if it is dangerous on your own, um, not by contacting, but trying to resolve those issues, whether it's finding forgiveness, understanding more objectively what happened, resolving that conflict, because what happens is that we tend to repeat those, not just marital relationships, but any relationship that we find toxic in our family, that we don't feel like we can, that we feel like we want to cut off from or distance from. Those are the ones that can teach us the most about our triggers and what we need to work on too. Not to say that they don't need to work either, but we can only, again, control ourselves and work on that. So I think really being clear whether you have to work, when you do feel this need to, I don't want this person in my life, to try to find a way to say, okay, what's going on here? What is triggering me in this relationship? What can I work on on myself, um, whether I keep this person in my life or not, um, so that I don't repeat that, so I don't continue that. Um, does that make sense? That does make sense. The question that came up in my mind, though, was how do you balance that and over-rationalizing situations? Because I've been in in situations where I just say, okay, there's a lesson to be learned here. I can obviously continue to work on myself. I can fix this. You don't give up on dynamics. Keep moving forward. If you break off or sever, you know, there's going to be other repercussions. And it's a constant rationalization that at times has kept me in dynamics for years longer than I ever wanted to be looking back. So 
when do you say, okay, this is a productive level of work I have to do. And now I'm just rationalizing and it's really best to get out. Um, that's a good question. I think that, um, you know, a lot of, especially pleasers tend to do that. I tend to do that. I think it's okay. It's, it's okay to let your feelings about it in. It's okay for things not to be okay with you. And that's where boundaries come in. Um, it's also not about putting all the weight of the relationship. You know, we only have control over our part. So if we're trying to maybe work too hard to have a relationship look a certain way, I think being more objective of what kind of relationship you can have with that person. So say you want to work on your relationship with your mom, you find her a bit critical and um, explosive maybe. We might not change that about her, but how can we manage ourselves around that criticism without internalizing that? Um, how can we resolve to see that maybe her in her context of how she developed that way? Um, and how can we set boundaries when it gets out of hand for us? Um, so that's what I mean by working on that relationship, not working so hard to for us to be the ones to make sure it becomes a close, awesome relationship. It might not ever look, you know, part of maturing too is saying, okay, how realistic, what kind of relationship can I have with this person? And being realistic, not putting all the weight, you're only responsible for you, not the other person. You can't change their criticism and um, if they're explosive, but you can learn to maybe not take it personal, maybe not be oversensitive in your other relationships. If um, what happens too is if you find, I guess you have a critical mom, you might be very sensitive if someone makes a comment about something that maybe was constructive feedback. So when we have all these open wounds, we're more easily susceptible to be overreactive with other people. So what I mean when I when I um, do say that is, yeah, I don't want people to think, oh, I need to take all the responsibility of the relationship. I need to rationalize. No, if something's not okay with you, you can say it. You know, this is not okay. You can set boundaries. You can exit. You know, you can say this is not okay with me. This is non-negotiable. When you do this, I'm gone. You know, that's that's all right. And it's okay that the relationship's never going to be baby besties or the way you'd like it to be. But still being able to, okay, this is my mother, though. You know, what do I value about this person? What can I have um, with this person? Getting more realistic about that. Um, how can I be in the same space so that I'm not bringing that into, if I have children, you know, those unresolved wounds that I haven't worked on into that, into those relationships or a spouse or friends, you know, if anybody, you know, people come to see me eventually when they keep recycling friends or family because those things get brought up and they're like, wait, no person's gonna fit this perfect mold in relationship, you know? So I think that's when it becomes an issue. I guess if there's one person that, you know, you're really like, it's not serving me, it's too much, that's okay too, you know? But if you're noticing that you're recycling the same kind of relationship over and over again, or you're just dumping people and going on and that's when you need to take a look like, oh wait, you know, what's going on here? What do I need to resolve? And how can I be more objective about what's possible for this relationship? So once you acknowledge you have done the self-work, once you've seen that you're making strides on your own, but maybe when you realize you're starting to compromise on those values again, that could be a good indicator of, okay, now it's no longer about what I need to change or it's about me, but now, maybe there's something else wrong. And that could be a perfect time to either walk away or I know you do a lot of 
couples counseling and marriage counseling, that could be the time to, to come and seek help or, and ask someone else to, to lend their opinion and their tools and their expertise to help navigate the dynamic, to really feel like you've done everything you can before taking that decision to, to end the relationship, romantic or not. Right. Yeah, again, I think like any of them, if you do it out of anxiety, that's when it's an issue. But if you do it objectively, like, okay, well, and know that it's a decision from there, what's best for you, that's the difference maybe um, that I see. And especially when it comes to couples, um, a lot of them come to you when they're really anxious. So calming that system down a bit so we can be clearer and then really make better decisions and see what the best course of action is versus just doing it out of anxiety and fear and being upset. Well, definitely finding your voice, taking up space, learning how to honor yourself, learning how to not bend over backwards so far that, you know, your back is going to break for other people is such a pivotal part to taking care of ourselves mentally, physically, and really coming into our own. So, Thank you for, for speaking about this with me. Um, and finally, I would like to wrap up by asking you from your perspective, from your expertise, what is mental health for you? Mental health is, I guess when you're, you mean mental health awareness or? Whatever mean- achieving mental health is, however you define that. So I know there's a big stigma around mental health. I don't see um, if someone is not feeling like their best self, that they're dysfunctional or that, you know, they have a mental um, illness. I see if you are, I guess, mentally healthy, you're more mature. You can see things clear objectively. You work in your own best interest, but also the best interest of your relationships and your family. Um, you aren't reaching for unhelpful ways to manage yourself um, or avoiding difficult situations. Um, again, we're not perfect human beings. We can only try. Um, but being aware, more self-aware, I think would be a pillar of um, mental health. But um, And then getting rid of that stigma. I have a lot of people thinking there's something wrong with them. And I look at more of, is this useful or not useful in your life? If it's not, how can you make changes? It's not that, you know, there's something defective inside of you. Um, these are patterns that have been learned and ingrained. And how can, I guess, mental health would be taking on that challenge and working on yourself. That's very empowering. Thank you. Well, thank you for lending your expertise and your perspective and, and taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Cohen. If you'd like to learn more about her or her private practice, you can find details included in the description box of this podcast episode. All right, until next time.